Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 207 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Morning, Mark. Uh, Before we begin, as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on June 28th. And this data is from YCharts. S&P 500 index up 4.7% for the month of July and up 14% year to date. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 2.9% for the month and up 2.1% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index up 5.1% for the month and up 29.9% for the year. The Russell 2000 Small Cap Index up 6% for the month and up 5.7% for the year and the Vanguard All World X United States ETF up 2.5% for the month and 7.5% for the year. The three-month Treasury rate sitting at 5.44%, the two-year Treasury rate at 4.71%, and the 10-year Treasury rate at 3.7%. So sticking on that interest rate topic, Matt, first big headline or current event uh, for this week was you know, kind of looking more and more likely like the Fed is not going to cut rates before the end of this year after Fed Chair Powell spoke earlier this week. Uh, The Fed futures, which we have discussed on this podcast in previous shows just recently, so Jenna will link to that podcast in our show notes here if people want to go back and listen to that. Um, But the Fed futures are showing a very low probability of a rate cut before the end of the year. Okay. Uh, next, we have uh, the conference, conference Board's Index of Leading Indicators. So uh, the leading indicators, which kind of could, in some people's mind, forecast a recession on the horizon, uh, declined in May for the 14th straight month. Since 1959, the current period ranks as the third longest streak of monthly declines and just the fourth streak lasting a year or more. Of the three prior periods, the economy was already in a recession by the time the streak reached its 12 month. And again, we're in the 14th straight month of decline. So very interesting. What do you take from that? You know, first of all, we only know about recessions in hindsight, and we could very well be in one. I know that GDP was revised for Q1, and it was still a positive 2%. But you know, a lot of these indicators behind the scenes are are not great. And the thing that gets me going as a stock investor right now is the resiliency of corporate earnings in the face of a quote-unquote sluggish economy. What the heck do you think happens when we start having a good economy? Right. Oh, my goodness. Right. So that's interesting to me. Yeah, very. Uh, First thing I have, Matt, is a graphic from Bank of America showing the history of their biggest tail risk survey that is sent to fund managers. So what this is going to do is going to go back all the way to July of 2011. Oh, this is a great idea. And fund managers answer the survey and say, hey, what's the biggest headline risk, essentially, right? 
So from July of 2011 to about October of 2012, the EU sovereign debt funding uh, was the biggest headline risk. In general, I'll throw this up on the YouTube video and in the show notes for people that are just listening. And everyone was an expert on it. Everyone was an expert in Italian debt, Greek debt. Correct. Everyone was an expert. Right. So then it shifts from being international issues to uh, you know homeland issues. And from October of 2012 to July of 2013, the U.S. fiscal cliff was the biggest issue. From July of 2013 to October of 2014, the China hard landing was a big issue. Mm -hmm. Then from October of 14 to July of 15, the geopolitical crisis. And then we flipped back to the China hard landing in 2015 of October uh, to July of 2016. Then July of 2016 till about October of 2016 was the Trump election was the biggest headline risk, um, which was interesting because right after the election, I think just going off of memory, stocks did really well or they rallied the next day. So that was interesting that they not did. even fund managers get it wrong, right? Yep, they did. Um, 2016 to 2017, EU disintegration. So you had the Brexit vote. Um, and then from 2017 through 2018, uh, you had the Fed, uh, the European Central Bank uh, policy mistakes. After that, you had the U.S.-China trade war, the 2020 presidential election, uh, COVID, obviously, from 2020 through 2021. And then since then, really has been driven by the inflation slash hawkish central banks, meaning uh, banks keeping rates higher for longer. And then thrown in there from 2021 until uh, today is the Russia-Ukraine war, a global recession, a systematic credit event, high inflation, uh, keeping central banks uh, hawkish. So again, it really flip flops, you know, every couple of years, what's the, the biggest quote unquote tail risk. But again, I don't think a tail risk isn't something in my opinion that is out there and people like know about, right? A tail risk is something that no one's talking about that just shocks the system. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's, and, and, that, and I think that's what COVID was, but this, obviously survey goes out in hindsight so you know the survey that went out in april of 2020 is when covid was the biggest headline risk. Yep. that was actually that was after the worst of it right correct so the the biggest risks to the market are, are things that people are not talking about so what's going to bring the market down next at some point in the future i would bet my money it's nothing that anyone is thinking of right now because it's not priced in correct I thought that was a good graphic that, uh, you know, was from B of A. I think this is good. My only other comment I like to throw out there is these are some scary headlines through the years that would cause people to change their plans, get out of the market. I'll get back in, Mark, when, when I think times are better, when I'm more comfortable, right? And what do you think the market's done since 2011? rally big time yeah i mean it's just gonna keep in mind you know you gotta i think a lot of investors who might not be in this market right now you gotta think of this what is the time horizon for this money and invest appropriately because timing this market even with volatility coming in is extremely challenging yeah agreed second thing i had was a tweet from uh bespoke on june 23rd um this will be up on the YouTube page, but uh, they said since the S&P 500 peaked on June 15th, it has been the worst performers year to date. 
leading the declines. Would have expected it to be the other way around with the biggest winners pulling back the most. And what you can see in this graphic is that they have deciles based on year-to-date performance. So the best decile all the way on the left side of the graph are the companies that have had the best performance year-to-date. Got it. And it shows the average decline since uh, June 15th is when the little sell-off we had started. And you can look all the way over to the right side of the graph is that the worst decile performers year-to-date have actually done the worst since June of 2015. So to me, this is telling me, hey, the strongest areas of the market so far year-to-date are continuing to lead even in the face of a pullback that we've seen for the past week or so. And... I think this is a hard concept for people to grasp, which we talk about all the time. We call it relative strength is that, you know, the strongest names tend to continue to lead for a long period of time. And I think people automatically think that, well, we're halfway through the year. NVIDIA is up 170% or whatever it is. That's got to be one of the names that really pulls back significantly in June. And just based on this data, that's just not the case. Yeah, and you know something you and I've talked about is you go into the end of a quarter like we are right now, and you have window dressing. And the definition of window dressing is these money managers, they're gonna show their shareholders what they own at the end of the quarter. And so they may not have owned some of those top performers, say such as an NVIDIA, but you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna buy it at the end of the quarter and be like, hey, I was smart. I own this name during the quarter when they might have bought it two days before the end of the quarter, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting because, you know, you could continue to see some strength in those names in the last couple of days as, ma- as money managers want to appear smart. Yeah. And yep. again, not a recommendation for or against any specific names such as in NVIDIA. Yeah. Um, last thing I have is a tweet from Charlie Bellello on June 16th. Uh, He says, after the March 2000 dot-com bubble peak, it took this tech sector nearly 17 years before hitting a new high, suffering an 82% drawdown along the way. Today, the tech sector is back at an all-time high less than 16 months after the December 21 peak. Every bear market is different. I just thought that this was good because I think there are a lot of people for a second there thought that you know, we were going to have another decline in tech like we did in March of 2000. But, um, you know, just because that happened in the past doesn't mean that every decline has to look like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we weren't the only ones pounding the table on it, but there are a lot of people pounding the table on the fact that, hey, this is not the same thing as March of 2000, completely different environment. Um, And we're already, you know, back to all time highs uh, in the tech sector, uh, which is uh, being used as XLK, which is the S&P tech sector ETF. Now, it's interesting because it's going to transition to me now. It's interesting you pick this because my first piece is from Charlie Bellello on June 25th, Mark. And the title of this piece for me is every bull bear market is different. It's got a theme in June. Interesting, my friend. Okay, so throughout 2022. There were many comparisons, Mark, to the 2000 to 2002 bear market and the 2007 to 2009 bear markets, with the implication being that there was still more downside ahead of the market. While that was certainly one possibility, 
wasn't the only possibility. And what we've seen over the last eight months is a path very much unlike those other two bear markets that were being touted. So Jenna's gonna put up this chart for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes. This is a chart by Charlie showing those previous two bear markets that were being very much compared to. And it shows Mark the number of trading days into that bear market. And it overlays the charts of the S&P 500 index versus the 2000, 2002 bear market, the 07 to 09, and what was happening so far currently as we've kind of come out of this bear market. And what's your thoughts when you kind of see this chart? I mean, I don't wanna you know, sound repetitive, but it is it's like every bear market's different. They, they look very similar when they start, but- That's the thing. That's the thing right there. Okay. They all Say look, no more. <laughs> they all look real similar at the beginning. They do. And then everyone, the narratives start attacking the market. And then when you start talking, when you think about bear market, you think about recessions. You're not thinking of a sell-off of 25% and it comes back, say, within a year. People are thinking of 2007 to 2009. They're thinking of 2000 to 2002. Oh, it's going to be exactly like that. And it might start like it. But then once you kind of have that disconnection, you know, we're in the disbelief phase is where we're at right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's part of the recovery process. All right. My next piece is an update on the supply chain. Uh, we were all supply chain experts during COVID. <laughs> yep. Okay. So the source is Charlie Bellello on June 25th. Uh, I'm going to read this from Charlie. We have continued evidence of an improving supply chain mark with the global container freight rates. That's the cost of 40 foot containers at their lowest levels since 2019, down 88% from their peak. Wow. Jenna's going to put up this chart for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes. It's, it's uh, pre lower than pre-COVID levels. Correct. This data set goes back to 2017. You're going to see this cost. I mean, for a while there, it was like 14 grand to move a uh, container ship just across the sea. And what's it down to? Like less than $2,000. Yeah. Right? Now, next, over a period of 18 months, this is the important part, so I want everyone to perk up. Over a period of 18 months, the New York Fed's supply chain pressure index has moved from its worst level ever in December of 2021 to its best level ever in May of 2023. Jenna will put up this chart again for our YouTube viewers. Marcus will be in our show notes for our traditional podcast listeners. So for the most part, the supply chains have really significantly eased. And so I'm going to forecast one thing. If we head out to earnings season coming up here um, in about roughly, what do you think? Three weeks, okay? If companies are blaming, I missed earnings, because of supply chain issues. That excuse is, is starting to get expired on the shelf. That excuse was popular for corporate America, but it's a little hard to use that excuse right now. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I was reading research the other day and someone was making the argument for why inflation 
was going to stick around for longer. And one thing he said, I just couldn't really wrap my brain around. So I'm wondering if you can help me with that. Okay. But he said, as we go back to our global trade and global supply chains get better, Mm -hmm. that was one of his arguments that inflation was going to remain high but to me that's a def- that's very deflationary in my opinion so i don't <laughs> so I, I wasn't i wasn't following exactly where he was going with that do you think like his argument is like we go back to just in time delivery right mm-hmm. is, is his theory there that it keeps inflation high i don't know because i think that corporate america learned a very valuable lesson during covid and though to a certain extent we might go back to that I think a lot of companies are going to be real smart and say, listen, if I can't source this from someone else and I have one vendor who's going to make this, I'm going to have excess inventory of this so it doesn't stop my production line. Mm -hmm. I just think corporate America, when it comes to logistics and just-in-time delivery, you know, this is going to dramatically change how companies think going forward. Yeah. Yep. All right. My last piece is um, I'm going to update some statistics from last year, okay? Last year in the second quarter mark was a horrible quarter for the stock market. Mm -hmm. And uh, for our listeners, uh, Mark discussed this tweet from Carl Cantania back in episode number 158. Going back in the archives. Going back, baby. So there is a tweet that Carl had. Uh, Jenna will put this up for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes. He showed, and this is from June 30th of last year, Mark, he showed the um, uh, uh, piece from Bespoke, 15% plus quarterly drops for the S&P 500 index since World War II. You're going to see the data set. And why I picked this is, what was the average return one year later? And what you're going to see from this data set a year ago is the average return one year later was about 26%. I'm throwing this out there because when we were talking about this, there a lot of people's thoughts and opinions is there is no way this market could be positive one year from now. I don't care what this data set says, Matt. There's no way. Mm-hmm. So I just went into stock charts and uh, Mark, I did this on June 26th and the S&P 500 from that date of July 1st of last year through June 26, the numbers aren't over yet. It was up 14.64%. So, you know, why am I highlighting this? Just as much as the market seemed it wouldn't stop going down last year, this year has been positive overall. There will, con- there will come a time when the market consolidates, pulls back, market corrections are normal. Things seem bleak last year. We're conveying a general message last year that this too shall pass. So far, that has come true. I am very proud of the content that we produce on this podcast, Mark. We help investors and clients stay focused on their long-term goals and objectives rather than being quick to make decisions on the latest media headline. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing. We just try to, we try to keep people from making decisions that are going to hurt them in the long run. And I want to stay away from dumb decisions because I don't think it's dumb decisions. Um, it's just keeping people from making emotionally based decisions, I think is the best way to put it. And that's why 
I love doing this week in and week out is hopefully, you know, someone listens to this, even if it's one episode a year and they get something from it and it helps them in their decision-making process. Well said. So, uh, before we have, uh, Jack on, um, he is our, um, our intern here for the summer at Jessup Wealth Management, uh, Jack McGrath. Is there anything you'd like to say, sir, before I invite him on? No, I don't think so. End of the quarter uh, tomorrow. Can't believe we are already halfway through 2023. Uh, like we mentioned uh, last week or a few weeks ago, earnings season's going to kick up here in a couple weeks. Good reminder. Um, so, no, I don't think so. Uh, just keep chugging along. Hope everyone enjoys their summer. And a good 4th of July weekend. And a good 4th of July weekend. All right. Yes. Well, thank you, Mark. All right. So um, instead of our financial planning topic of the week, we're going to switch it up and welcome again our financial planning intern, Jack, on the podcast to discuss some research he completed on a topic we discussed a couple of episodes. As, I'm sorry, a couple episodes ago. Uh, so first of all, Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. So several times this year, we've talked about how only a few stocks were responsible for the majority of the gains in the market this year. This reminded Jack of something called the Pareto distribution, which he will explain to our listeners. Jenna, how'd I do there? Okay, I got the thumbs up from Jenna. Um, there was some, some good times when I was trying to pronounce that uh, before the podcast began with an Italian accent. Yeah, you killed it. Yeah. I did. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to turn this over to you. What do you got for yeah. us? So um, basically the idea that a small number of out, or a large number of outcomes are caused by a small number of causes mm -hmm. is pretty much like a law of nature in many things. Like it's responsible like the largest, like there's a small number of trees in the Amazon rainforest that are the largest. Got know? it. Stuff like that. And that's the same for the market too. Um, pretty much all the time, um, just... 20% of stocks are responsible for 80% of the market sales and the market cap. Okay. And in the same way of like, it, it kind of makes sense of like, think about when you're trying to listen to music. Yep. You don't just go and click on a random song you've never heard before from every song that's ever been recorded. You go and you see, okay, well, let's see what the top 40 songs are right now. Yep. Or you go within your genre. Exactly. Yeah. Top 40 in the genre. Something like that. It's the same with the market. People want to see what stocks are doing well. Sure. And then if they invest in those stocks that are doing well, then those stocks do better. And yeah. so it makes sense. Sure. Kind of like that relative strength that Mark was talking about earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so it, and it's actually pretty interesting, too, that 1.3% of firms accounted for $44.7 trillion in global wealth creation from 1990 to 2018. 1.3%. <laughs> yeah. So it's that same thing. A very small number of names in the market accounted for a vast amount of wealth creation. Interesting. Um, and that wasn't billion. That was trillion. Trillion. Yeah. Trillion dollars. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I just thought that was super interesting because we hear a lot of recently like, okay, there's like seven or eight names that are really pushing the market right now. Um, you know, like we have Apple, Amazon, of course, but recently Nvidia, Tesla, stuff like that. And we've been hearing that a lot. But I think it's very interesting that that's pretty much always been the case, that there's a small number of stocks that carry a lot of weight in the market. And so I have this chart here, um, I hope Jenna can put this up, that shows um, the percentage of the total weight of the market okay. that is held by the top five stocks. And recently, actually, 
it's pretty low from a historical standpoint. Really? Um, like in 1964, I think it was the peak. It was almost 30%. So again, what number of the top? 10? Top five. Top five. So in 1964, the top five stocks accounted for 30% of the S&P 500. So we got to remember, <laughs> listeners and viewers, that the S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index, which means the stocks with their outstanding number of shares multiplied by the last sales price that gives you the market capitalization so apple as an example is the largest company by market cap hence its weighting is then proportional to the bucket of those 500 companies mm -hmm. and so what you're verbalizing is that back in the 60s in 64 just five of the names made up about a third yeah. of whatever the index was doing. Exactly. Okay. And in 2018, that was about 15%, so almost half, half of what it used to be. But wait a minute, Jack. The narrative in this market is that you got these five or 10 stocks mm -hmm. that are completely taking over the market, and this has never happened before. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much always been like that. <laughs> there, but, goes, there goes the media doing its <laughs> usual, okay? But... Uh, perhaps in this case, it maybe not has happened that the stocks that are at the top right now are really pushing the market forward. There may be an excellent yeah. point is, you know, you might have these stocks that um, let's say it's 15 percent. You'll give us the updated stat, maybe. Mm -hmm. But it's like what's happening now is those are the stocks that are really moving. Yeah. And so it's kind of pushing this narrative that, oh, only the big stocks are doing well right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. And it goes along with what Mark was saying, too, at the beginning of, um, 